Hello, my beautiful people. We're going to continue with Killer Choice, Chapter 7. Killer Choice, Chapter 7. When he arrived back home, the living room was packed with 10 women from Beth's yoga class. All of them wore their pink Team Beth shirts. Gary greeted everyone and grabbed his own pink shirt from the bedroom. He put it on and sat down at the edge of the room next to the Beth. I didn't realize we're having visitors, he said. I didn't either, Beth said. The doorbell rang this morning. I answered it and this crew was waiting outside. Gary recognized a few of them, but the only name he knew was that of Sarah, Rod's wife, the owner of the yoga studio. She sat on the couch, head held high, her short black hair fashioned in a trousered bob. The odd couple, Beth always called Sarah and Rod, the beauty and the beast. Sarah was confident and poised, the polar opposite of Rod, the grown child who'd won her over with nothing more than his juvenile charm. How was the store? Beth asked. The store? He forgot all about the note he'd written for Beth before he left. Nothing special. It was fine. With Rod in charge, I'm surprised the place isn't trash, Sarah said. I don't think Rod has ever once cleaned up after himself since we started living together. I feel like I'm married to a teenager sometimes. Beth smiles. Oh, he never cleaned up after himself when he lived with us either. <laughs> Months after he moved out, I was still discovering his dirty laundry all over the house. I can tell you how many pair of socks I found crammed under and couch cushions. At least it wasn't his boxers. Laughter all around. We were just talking, Gary. One of them. Something with a mm, Melanie Mary said. Talking about this treatment in Germany. It's a miracle. At least we hope so. We're here to help. Something with a um, M said. Do anything we can do to raise the money. Speaking of, Beth said, she put her phone from her pocket and looked at the Kickstarter-style fundraising page they set up last night. Beth's picture was at the top of the screen, her smile full and wide, her head slightly tilted to the side, her hand placed over her belly. The title safe Beth, is said Beth Foster was under the photograph. In the middle of the page was a short summary of her story. Further down on the page was a horizontal thermometer stick with notches and $10,000 increments. Goal, 200000 read the inscription of the right side of the thermometer. Currently, we're at $2,237, read the inscription on the left side of the thermometer. There's more than when I last checked, Beth said. People must have seen the article this morning. That's great. It's a start. That's all it is. Truly great news. If someone showed up and just handed us a bag with all the money, everyone excerpt Gary chuckled. They spent an hour brainstorming names of people who might be able to help with the money. When they finished, they had a list that numbered well over 100 people. Friends from the community, old acquaintances, former co-workers. If we cast the right side wide, there's a chance. 
Beth said, get a couple of thousand dollars from some people, a couple hundred from others, and the money could add up. Almost six hours later, Gary and Beth sat at the living room, still in their pink team sh Beth shirts. Of the group of friends, only Sarah remained. The laptop was set up on the coffee table, displaying fundraising site. Goal, 200000 read the inscription on the right side of the thermometer. Currently, they're at 8417 read the inscription on the left side of the thermometer. They all three stared at the screen, their faces grim. It's better than nothing, Gary said. Even to himself, the words sounded insecure. The day had been long. Beth's yoga friends had stayed at the house all afternoon, making phone calls, sending off texts, posting the link to the fundraising site on social media, doing everything they could to raise money. After all that work, they didn't even have $10,000 to show for it. It's frustrating, Beth said. I want to be angry, but who's there to be angry at? Those who could help with the money did what they could and what they were able to. Those who couldn't just didn't have any money. Gary nodded. Most people he talked to were polite, apologetic, genuinely sorry that they couldn't do more. They offered to help by cooking dinner, by praying, by offering any sort of moral support needed. But they couldn't help with any monies, money. And that was the only thing that mattered at this point. He had spoken to at least 15 people who'd been left unemployed when the Lumberman Bank Pads manufacturing plant had closed last year and devastated the local job market. How could they expect people to help if they could barely make their mortgage payments or put food on the table? We'll find the money, Gary said. It's still early. There was no reaction from either woman, no enthusiastic rallies, cry, or passionate words of encouragement. Not that Gary expected anything. They both looked dainted and totally, mm, totally spent. After Sarah left, Beth and Gary sat down to eat dinner before they started. Beth closed her eyes and messaged her massaged her temples. I have a headache, she said. A headache? The words always caused a pang of fear, uncertainty. Beth had gotten headaches on and off during her whole treatment, and every time Gary felt that knot in the bit of his stomach, the helpless feeling of not knowing how to help his wife and how serious it was. Bad one? he asked. Beth Winch kept her eyes closed for a moment. I'll be fine, she said. I just need to lay down. I need to lie down. Today has been exhausting. Gary helped her out of her chair and led her into the bedroom. She curled up on her side of the bed, and Gary tucked her in. He leaned over and kissed her forehead. We can go to the hospital if you need to, he said. She weakly shook her head in response. Mm -hmm. Beth stayed in the bed all evening. Gary checked up on her periodically. He offered to bring her soup, but she always declined. A glass of water, he sat on the bedside table, remained untouched. Later in the night, after she had fallen asleep, Gary walked into the baby's soon-to-be bedroom and sat down at the computer. He opened the internet browser and typed Devin Peterson into the search bar. He paused before hitting enter. He told himself it was harmless to search for more Information about Devin Peterson, the man Shemrock wanted him to murder. Simple curiosity. That's all this was. Nothing more to that. He knew that was a lie. They had barely anything to show for an entire day spent reaching out to the friends, 
Only now they started to try to raise the money that Gary realized just how difficult it would be. $200,000. It was an enormous, enormous, enormous mind-boggling figure. All day long, at the $20-$40 donations and apologies for not giving more piled up, the offer had lingered in the back of his mind. Right now, the voice in Gary's mind said he could take care of everything. He could have the money they needed just like that for that treatment. He owed it to Beth. He owed it to himself. He owed it to the unborn child. He reconsidered the offer. His earlier decision to decline was made in the heat of the moment. Immediately after his meeting with Shamrock, he wasn't thinking straight at the time. The sheer shock at being presented with such an unbelievable offer had clouded his judgment, made it impossible to look at everything objectively. He spent an hour considering the offer then. Hour was nothing. Nor for a decision with so much at stake, he had to take his time. He had to examine all of the facts and put far more than an hour's worth of thought into his decision. First up, he wanted to learn more about Devin Peterson. He wanted to learn who he was. He wanted to learn exactly what he did. He wanted to learn why someone was willing to pay such an enormous amount of money to murder him for his murder. Gary tapped enter on the keyboard. A moment later, the search results appeared. Text links filled the lower half of the screen, but Gary focused on the thumbnail photos above the links. The first photo was small, yet he immediately recognized Devin Peterson's flashy, thick face and bushed, cut hair. It was a headshot that looked similar to the picture on the photocopied driver license, maybe a few years more or recent. In it, Devin wore a black shirt sleeve, button-up shirt that was skin-tight against the large frame, hugging against his chest and riding up on his large, barley arms. Even though the photo was a thumbnail, Gary could say, and he could see, that the gold badge pinned to the chest of his shirt. The horrifying reality instantly became clear. Devin Peterson was a police officer.